Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other. And we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. It's great to be with you here this morning. Hey, I have an 18-month-old, um, and she is cute, man. Oh, man, she's cute. Um, I know some of you have already started to doubt me. You're like, okay, yeah, Josh, everybody thinks their kid is cute. Um, let me be honest here. Um, my kid is cute. Here's what I mean. You have kids. You may have grandkids, and you're like, I have cute kids and grandkids. No, my kid is, like, cute. Like, there's cute, and then there's my kid, right? Like, my kid is real cute. Like, compared to all kids, my cute registers high on the cuteness level. You know what I'm saying? Here's how I know that this is true. Even when my daughter does a doo-doo, it is cute, okay? It is cute. Here's how I know this, right? So my daughter started doing this thing. And she says, when she dirties her diaper, she goes, woo-wee, woo-wee, dad-dad, woo-wee, woo-wee. And it is the cutest dirty diaper that you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> cutest, right? Isn't that cute, right? Uh, yeah, it's pretty cute, right? And that's, oh man, what we think happened is that, um, dad, I take care of her on Fridays and I'll go to change uh, dirty diapers, particularly the poopy ones. And um, I'll be like, Hoo-wee, stinky poo-poo while she caught on. So this is another thing for you guys who are parents. Maybe you just become parents. Um, what you say, your kids will repeat. So um, I learned that firsthand because now every like dirty diaper, or even now that we're starting to potty train, um, she is like, woo-wee, woo-wee. That's what we say. So um, woo-wee became the thing. And that is so cute, so cute, until it's not. Um, so I'm sitting here on Fridays um, with my daughter, and normally it's like, da-da, woo-wee, da-da, woo-wee. And um, on this particular Friday, it was not that at all. Um, my daughter looked me straight in the face and goes, da-da, woo-wee. And I was like, okay, like, that's okay, right? Like, you got a diaper on, we're doing just fine. Like, we are going to coast right through this. You go ahead and woo-wee. She's like, no, no, dada, wooey. And I'm like, what's, what's the issue here? I don't, I don't see the issue. We're sitting down for lunch. You, you, like, okay, whatever. And then I notice um, the wooey has extended past the diaper. Um, it is now all over the high chair. Um, and so in this place, I'm like, at first time dad, and have no clue what I'm doing. Um, so I'm like, I, I don't know what to do in this scenario. I'm like, just a dad. All I know is I take care of her on Fridays, try to keep her alive till mom gets back home. That's all I'm trying to do, right? So that's what I'm doing. I'm taking care of her. And then now we're in this situation that like Jesus has not given me the instruction manual on how to deal with wooey on the high chair, right? Like that's not a thing. The kids don't come with like the diagrams of what you're supposed to do in scenarios like this. So um, that's my question for you. What do you do when the wooey hits the high chair? Okay. My parents used to say, uh, what are you going to do when the stuff hits the fan? I can't say that word in church. Um, but what do you do when the wooey hits the high chair? 
when life goes crazy, when things are nuts, whenever things don't go according to plan. And sometimes it's scenarios like this that you're like, dude, I'm just freaking out here and I don't know what to do, right? And then other times, it's very serious. In other times, you got a diagnosis that you didn't see coming. In other times, you've been so busy at work that your marriage has been falling apart and you had no clue. In other times, your kid walks through the door and goes, I don't think I believe in Jesus anymore. What do you do in that scenario? Maybe it's not even that scenario. Maybe it's you're just not as far along as you thought you would, like you should be. We have a word that even kind of defines this a little bit. We call it midlife crisis, right? What is a midlife crisis? That means you've hit a point in life that you've gotten to this place and you look at life and you go, there's probably at least as much behind me as there is in front of me. And I don't quite like where I'm at right now. I feel like I should be further along than this. What are you going to do whenever that happens? So we're going to look today at a guy named David. The reason why we're going to look at David is because David knows exactly what to do in this scenario. So we're going to look at Psalm 142. You can go ahead and turn to Psalm 142. We'll get there in just a second. But I want to give you a little um, snapshot into David's life. Um, We're not going to be there quite yet. Um, I want to give you a snapshot into David's life and kind of what's transpired before he gets to Psalm 142, okay? So age of 13, David's out. He is a shepherd. So he's taking charge of his parents' sheep, right? Particularly his dad's sheep. So he's out in the field and he doesn't know nothing. He's just out there. He's a music player. He's out there with this thing called a lyre, which is probably like a harp. Um, And so he's out there playing his little harp music out with the sheep making up songs and doing his thing. Um, He's also behind the scenes. He's like got this slingshot game that like he can kill lions and bears with a slingshot, which I think is pretty stinking awesome. Um, But nobody really knows that that's what's going on, right? So age of 13, that's who he is. This dude Samuel shows up at his dad's house and goes, hey, David, you're going to be the next king. The youngest in his family, no reason this kid, based on what, the earth, what worldly standards are, that this kid should be the next king. But that's what happens. God says, you're going to be the next king. This is, this is what goes down. Age of 13, this happens. Then around a couple years later, um, around the age of 15, 17, somewhere around in there, David actually gets to become the music player in the palace of the king. All of a sudden, he's real close to the king, starts to become friends with him because the king's kind of suffering from this uh, mental stress thing that we're not really sure what it is. The Bible actually tells us that um, there's an evil spirit that is, uh, God has left King Saul. He's, the spirit of God is no longer upon him, um, which is setting the stage for David to come and be king later. Um, but David's actually the person who eases this pain, right? So David's like starting to see some of this start to happen. Then he's a late teenager, right? So around 18, 19 years old is what most people would say. This is around the age this happens. David walks onto the battlefield and Israel is facing these guys named the Philistines. And he walks up to this dude who is the, they call him a giant 
Uh, he could be, but he's the best warrior for the Philistines. This guy named Goliath. Maybe you've heard this story before. Yeah. And David steps up and goes, this dude's talking bad on our God. Pulls out his handy dandy slingshot that he used to kill the lions and the bears with. Takes it, slingshots Goliath around the forehead. Kills him on the spot, right? All of a sudden, David is this warrior who is like the man in Israel, okay? You get where we're going here? Like, it's this really, really good place. And he becomes such a great warrior that people start to make up songs about the song maker, right? They start saying, Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. And that sounds amazing, except for the fact that Saul hears it. That's Saul, the king, hears it. And in a moment, David's greatest victory becomes the reason why he has to run. Because Saul pursues after David's life, wants to kill him because he's jealous. So David goes on the run. He spends his 20s and 30s as an outcast, running away from King Saul, and actually goes to this place called Gath. Gath is... Goliath's hometown, right? It's like, ooh, ooh, that sounds like a bad idea, right? And I would agree it is a bad idea, um, but I think that some of us, we struggle because God has conquered something, and you keep running back to it, Right? There's something in our lives that God has conquered, that he has dealt with. It is over. It is done. But when we need refuge, that's the thing that we run to first. What do you keep running back to? What do you keep seeking refuge in that actually is not where God has called you to live? So then after that, uh, David has to um, act like he's crazy in order to get out of there. Uh, so he, he like foams at the mouth and like goes, acts like he's crazy. Um, King Gas like, that dude's weird. Get him out of here. Um, so he goes and hides, but he's got no place to hide. So he just goes out into the wilderness and goes and hides in a cave. Okay. And there's two Psalms that exist that was David in a cave. This is one of them, Psalm 142. So that's where we're going to read about it. That David is in this place of total and complete desperation. He is supposed to be the next king. He's the next guy in line. This is what I'm supposed to be. God, you led me to this place. And it all looked like it was good here because I was starting to have songs written about me that I was killing tens of thousands of people that you had made me in this amazing and wonderful and beautiful place that I thought I was just supposed to exist forever. And then now... Now you made me go back to Gath, and that's where I had to exist for a time period, and now I'm stuck in a cave. What do I do here? How am I supposed to exist here? And David says this in Psalm 142. He says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I plead aloud to him for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. I reveal my trouble to him. Although my spirit is weak within me, you know my way. 
Along this path I travel, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, no one stands up for me. There is no refuge for me. No one cares about me. Here's what I love about David. He's about as raw as it gets in the Bible. He's like, yo, this is what's really happening right now in my life. This is what's really going down right now in my life. And I am not cool with it. Like, I'm struggling here. He said, it says that I, I pour out my complaint to the Lord. I don't know if, about you, but sometimes in my own life, I'm like, is it okay to complain to God? Is that all right? Like, but I'm supposed to. That's what David, David is giving us a model. God has allowed this to be in his word to us, to give us a model of how we're supposed to go to him. That we are feeling something deep within our hearts, that we have a complaint that exists somewhere on the inside, and it's supposed to not just sit there and fester, we're supposed to get it out of us. It's not supposed to be inside there, and so many of us believe something about ourselves, something that exists on the inside of us, that there is a lie that we have believed that exists within our hearts, and we tell it to ourselves over and over and over again. And what we need to do instead is confess it, get it out of our mouths, which gets it out of our hearts, and just let it be. Get it out of you. You need to tell the truth about your lie. Tell God the truth about your lie. That there's a lie that exists underneath everything else. Here's mine. Whenever I um, started to, this is probably around a decade, maybe 12 years ago, um, I believed, God had called me into ministry probably back when I was in high school. Um, I thought based on the wrong decisions that, um, that I'd made in my 20s and based on some, um, some ways that God was steering my story, um, that I didn't get some jobs that I thought I should have gotten, right? So I thought I was supposed to go into ministry in this area, and that didn't work, and I thought I was supposed to go into ministry in this area, and that didn't work. So I thought, okay, well, I'm just not going to go into ministry at all, right? And because of that and some bad decisions that I made in my 20s, I thought I'm no longer supposed to do this thing that God told me was true right? That was the lie that I believed underneath all of it, that somehow I wasn't even good enough to do it, right? There is some lie that each of us is living into right now. There's something deep within your heart that you believe something that God says is not true. Instead of us just sitting there, I think we should do something about it. How about you? That's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And I just want you to ask, God, what's the lie? What's the lie that I believe about myself? What is that thing underneath everything else that I believe either about myself or that you're not going to do good for me? That I believe something deep within my heart you said just isn't true. And we're just going to sit here and we're going to listen to God and see what he tells us. 
So let's do that right now. Here's what I believe. I believe that God has just spoken to you in that moment and he's giving you something. Here's my challenge to you. Don't let that be the last time that you think about this. I want you to tell somebody this week what God gave you during that time. Because it helps to get it out of you. We are supposed to confess our sins one to another. That's what Colossians tells us. And as we confess, what that means is that I'm telling the truth about what I believe on the inside here that does not align with what God has said. I pray that you would do that this week because it's good for us to say it out loud. Here's the problem, though. I think I need to clean the mess. Here's my guess. When I said, what are you going to do when the wooey hits the high chair earlier? You put yourself in my position, not in hers. You thought you were the dad, right? You thought you were the person who needed to clean up the mess. That's not our position in this relationship. Here's how I know um, that that's true. Um, just in our, in our world in general, right? There's, there's these two phrases that, and there's probably a ton more um, that you can think about. The first one, here's two wrong responses. You ready? First one, keep your nose to the grindstone. 
okay? What does keep your nose to the grindstone mean? That means I'm going to buckle down, I'm going to pick myself up by my bootstraps, and I'm just going to get it done, right? Like, we even have that phrase, like, Larry the Cable Guy, like, two decades ago said, like, get her done, right? Like, everything was get her done, right? And so, but the only problem with the nose to the grindstone is if you actually put your nose on a grindstone, that would hurt really bad, right? Like, has anyone ever not thought about, like, nose to the grindstone and how much that, how terrible that would be? Like, it's a terrible phrase. Why would you want to put your nose on a grindstone? It literally grinds things. Right? Like, that's the point of a grindstone. You're not supposed to put your nose to it. You're supposed to put, like, corn and wheat and things, right? Like, don't put your nose to the grindstone because, let's be honest, when you do, what is ground down is you. Right? When you work hard, okay, I'm just going to buckle down. I'm going to pick myself up by my bootstraps. I'm just going to work it, get it done, whatever that thing is, so that I can achieve what I think is best for me. That actually doesn't do you any good. It just wears you down. Here's the other one. Fake it till you make it. We, we post that on the back of our bumper stickers like it's, like it's something great, right? It's, it's on memes on Facebook, right? Like people want to fake it. Well, just fake it till you make it, 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 right? Fake it till you make it. We are really, really, really bad at faking it. Are we not? Like that's the reason why we like David and what he says, because he doesn't fake it. Quit faking it. Stop it. Just be honest. Be honest about your situation. Be honest about what's going really, really going on. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to lie to yourself. That's what you're doing when you're faking it. You're just lying to yourself. And can I be honest? You're not doing anything but making yourself look fake. And when it comes out, it comes out like anger. It comes out like loneliness. It comes out like escapism. It comes out like numbness. Can I be honest? One of the biggest issues that we have within our society right now is escapism. You want to know why virtual reality is a thing? Because people don't like reality. They want to escape away from the world in which they exist. So yet I'm going to go somewhere where I can make everything up and that's going to make things be better. It doesn't actually make anything better. Because what are you actually trying to make anyway? What you think is the right move? How has that worked out in the past? You're not the dad in this scenario. He is. He's the one who cleans things up. David knew this. See, David... 1 Samuel 13, 14 says that David was a man after God's own heart. What does that mean? Does that mean that David loved God? Sort of. um, It doesn't not mean that. It kind of means that. But um, what it really means is the heart is the place of the will. We We still say this, right? So if somebody pursues after something and nothing they can do can be stopped, we say that person has a lot of heart, right? Make sense? So that's what it means whenever a Hebrew says heart, they're talking about the will. They're talking about like, am I going to do this thing? Right? And so to be a man after God's own heart is mean, means to be a man after God's own will. And you see this within David's life that all the time, whenever David wants to make a decision, he goes, it, 
the scripture turns to, and David inquired of the Lord, 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 right? That David is always, always asking God what to do. What am I supposed to do here? Here's one thing that David knew that I think we need to let sink into us, that God cares for those who follow his will. When we will ask God what we're supposed to do, then everything else is taken care of. I didn't think about this until right now, but um, Matthew 6 actually talks about this really well. That's where we got our daughter's name from. Um, Matthew 6 talks about how whenever you just pursue God and what he wants you to do, that he'll take care of the rest of it. It's Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be taken care of. Right? I don't have to worry about that. He loves me. And because he loves me and because I'm seeking after his will, he's going to take care of the rest of it. And David knew this, so therefore you see the shift that happens. This is what it says in in verse 5. Notice, he was crying out to God the whole time, but he says this, I cry out to you, Lord. The focus shifts from David and his situation and his eyes point up, right? It changes in a moment because he focuses on like, God, what are you doing in this scenario? And then that leads me to act. I say, you are my shelter. You're my portion in the land of the living. And then he goes, listen to my cry. For I'm weak. I can't do this. Rescue me. From those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. I can't do this. Free me from my prison, from this cave that I'm in, so that I can praise your name. And as I do it, the righteous will gather around me because you deal generously with me. That the whole point of God releasing me out of this is so that God might be praised. See, we've got the focus on wrong, all wrong whenever I'm focused on my situation and where I think I need to go and what I think I need to do. And the focus is all on I, right? right? It's all on me. If instead I'll go, no, God, I need you to do this. I need you to fight my battle for me. I need you to do these things. I need you to rescue me. I need you to let me know what I'm supposed to do. Why? So that your name will be glorified. It's not about me. It's not about what I need to do. It's about him and what he wants to do with me. In order to do that, um, you've got to have access to him. You've got to know him. You got to know who God is. In order to be friends with God, you got to be introduced into a relationship with you. He knows you, and you might even think you know something about him, but in order to be connected to him, you have to accept Jesus as your savior. That is number one thing. You do not have access to the Father except through the Son. That's the only way. You do not have access. If you sat here earlier, some of you, I know you're in this room, that you sat there earlier and you're like, you told me to pray and I don't even know what that means. 
I don't know this father you're talking about. I don't know this David story you're talking about. And Josh, you're like, yeah, you're talking about the problems that I deal with, but there's no solution for me because I don't even know this God that you're talking about. Welcome to River Valley. We're glad you're here. Because I believe something, and I believe that we believe something, that God will speak to you if you ask him. He will speak into your heart if you want him to. And so we're going to allow for that. But that's dangerous. Here's what I mean. This is what Cody talked about last week. That you would live on the edge of faith. That you need God to speak and to do in your life. Otherwise, it does not work. Do you live there? Are you willing to say, God, you're going to have to do it, because otherwise it ain't going to get done. God, you gave me this big dream. I can't do it on my own. We've been talking about building this building out here that we're going to start doing. Are we going to be able to do it? God's going to have to show up. I'm just being honest. And that's exactly where we need to live. That's exactly where we need to be. That's where we all need to be in our lives all the time. God, what are you telling me to do? God, what are you asking me? God, God, what are you, what are you revealing about me? And some of us, we just need access to God in order to be able to hear him in that way. Some of us have been coming to church for a long, long time. And you think it's just coming in here and hearing some guys talk on the stage. And we sing some good music and you walk out and you live out the rest of your week. And there's kind of this disconnect that doesn't, like, we do this thing, but that's a piece of my life. That's not my life. That's not who God called you to be, ever. That's nowhere in this book that you were meant to live that way. Instead, would you let God tell you who you're supposed to be? Are you willing to do that? Are you living on the edge of faith? That maybe he tells you something that might just scare you a little bit. That there's something true that exists in there too. That God has spoken a word into you that you're like, man, I wish that was true about me. What if it were? And what if he wanted to do something with it? So that's what I want to do. We're going to spend these next couple of minutes saying, God, what's my identity? Who do you say that I am? We're just going to spend a couple minutes. I'm going to do something else right after that, okay?
Here's who God says that you are. 1 John 3, 1 says that God loves you and then he calls you his child. Ephesians 1, 5 says God has adopted you and he wanted to do it. Romans 8, 15 says because you are God's child, then you're an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. Romans 5, 5 says God gives you hope that will not lead to disappointment. Psalm 31, 7 says God is with you and he cares for you in the midst of your anguish. Galatians 5, 1 says Christ has set you free. You don't have to be burdened by the things that he's already conquered. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says there is now no condemnation for you because you are in Christ Jesus. God gives you life through the Holy Spirit and sets you free from sin and death. Amen. Some of you still need to do work with God. You still need to talk to him. This time that we're going to go into now is not just another song. This is a special song. It's a special song every week. And what I mean by this is after the message on Sunday, this is meant to be how you respond. It's called a response song. And you are meant to respond to how God has spoken into you. There's going to be a couple different ways that we can do that. One is you can respond in praise and worship to our God through this song. Others of you, you need to sit right where you're at and do work with God, just you and him. I pray that you would do that. Others of you are like, I don't even know where to start, man. I just need somebody to pray with me. So we want to allow for that. So I've asked some people to be around the room to pray with people. I'm going to be right here over by the stage to pray with y'all. If you want someone just to come alongside you and affirm you in the things that God is revealing to you, come talk to us. Now, you're going to be talking to them. We're just going to be right there along with you, praying over you. But this is time for you to sit with the Lord and say, God, what are you who are you saying that I am and what are you calling me to do? What am I supposed to do with this? How do I move so that my life is different based on who you say that I am? God, we love you. We pray that we would respond to you and how you speak into our lives. It's in the name, the beautiful, wonderful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.